Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson. And I'm Brian Bolt. We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sports scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together, we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Ever wonder if Jesus played sports? Well, we do too. For these next six episodes on the Sport Faith Life podcast, Chad and I play with the idea of Jesus playing sports. We pick six sports to explore one at a time, asking ourselves, what about the sport speaks to humanity in unique ways? What are the goods inherent in the sport? We do bring a caution or two, but mainly we celebrate sport by imagining Jesus in uniform. So let's get started. For sport number six, uh, pretty timely, I would say. Timely, like in a seasonal way, right, Brian? Because we're we're you know you and I are sitting here in West Michigan, and the I would say almost the dead of winter, and um, this is appropriate, right? This works, yes. At least it works for us. I mean, um, anyone could come in and listen to this podcast at any time, but if you listen to, in a timely way, you're subscribed and you're <laughs> excited about uh, the new Sport Faith Life podcast. This this will fit uh, here, certainly in Michigan, in the USA, where it's cold. It's definitely cold. And this, this is a sport that can be played any time of year, but it can. It's, it's definitely more popular and it's easier to play. Or That is, you can find action more regularly in the Northern Hemisphere's winter. Where it's yeah, really and I cold. would say too. It, I mean, it's evolved into a sport that is played uh, primarily by people who are paying money to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, except, you know, unless you're at the professional level. But uh, the people that are playing pickup, you have to wait for winter, right? The people that you are do. just going out you to do. an open space, then um, you wait for winter. You wait for the freezing over of all the bodies of water, and you go out and play hockey, you ice play hockey. hockey. Yeah, yeah. Right. Ice hockey. Right, right, right. So we have to distinguish here between hockey because it has a number of different forms and mm-hmm. ice hockey. And today we're talking about ice hockey. Which would include the type that I play, which is pond hockey. Ah. Right. We're, we're including, I mean, pond hockey is, is ice hockey. It's, it's not its own thing. Like, like field hockey is its own thing. Floor hockey would be its own thing. I would say. Right. We don't have to uh, distinguish the type of ice or how it's made. Right. Thank you. But uh, absolutely. Pond hockey counts for sure. So we've got uh, our sixth sport. We're going to come up with three reasons that Jesus would play ice hockey. And then one maybe that would keep him from playing ice hockey. Um, are you feeling good? You want to go first? Yeah. Yeah, I'll go first. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll start shallow and, and work our way up. I feel like we've said something like that in the last couple of episodes as well. But I'm going to start relatively shallow. And that is one thing that I, I love about, about hockey. That's, I think, a fun sort of cultural part of hockey that I think would fit with Jesus and, and his compadres is uh, the playoff beard as a part of the hockey season, right? So in the NHL specifically, once teams get into the playoffs, the idea is that players don't shave. And so they grow these really long, really sort of grisly, and I would say somewhat disgusting beards throughout that period of time, hoping that your team will go on long, but knowing that there's a silver lining if your team loses in the playoffs and loses before you hope to, you at least get to shave. So the playoff beard is something. And I I always picture Jesus and his disciples as also having beards. And 
it seems like if we're talking about that group of people that would have been a part of an ancient culture, you know, from, from our sort of history records, that I, I would say, you know, facial hair would have been regularly uh, uh, popular. It would have, you know, it was sort of a sign of adulthood in some ways. And so you would have a playoff beard throughout adulthood, which means that adulthood is the ultimate playoffs in some ways, right? So if we talk about Jesus and his disciples, if they in fact had, you know, facial hair that they just let grow, they're in the ultimate playoff. And it's a group of people that happen to be doing that together. And, and um, I, I'm making I'm making connections in, in ways that I'm not sure are historically accurate. But it, in my mind, at least I'm picturing Jesus and disciples with beards. What the work they were doing seems like it's, it's you know, obviously more important than the playoffs, but it seems like sort of a playoff push in terms of looking at, you know, the evolution of, of the Christian faith coming down to, to humans. And so, um, go. Okay. <laughs> Respond right. to that. So I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, um, <laughs> well, you win. I would not have thought about the, I did not think about the playoff beard. Um, okay. Exciting, interesting. Um, I'm assuming, you know, uh, not to get in trouble here, but this is men's ice hockey. There is such a thing as women's ice hockey and, and they would have a harder time with the playoff beard. Um, yeah, I'm really just talking about the NHL. For this yep, one. yep, yep. And, and it uh, does show up in other places. It shows up in college hockey and those sorts of things. They'll, they'll think about it that way because mm-hmm. it just, it, it has its own lore, right? This mm-hmm. whole idea. Um, so I too have this visual of Jesus and his disciples in beards. But as I've learned more about the times, I actually kind of like the idea that they were they were quite a bit younger. You know, this thought that at least certainly some of them weren't 35-year-old men. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, they were maybe 16-year-old uh, boys who were out doing the work. Uh, and I remember traveling to different places in, um, in Africa, too, and just watching basically um, teenage or, you know, early teen kids out in the fields working in particular ways. And uh, that's what you sort of picture in terms of um, the possibility that Jesus maybe had some younger, younger disciples. And I Mm -hmm. think he did. Uh, But at the same time, um, I do think uh, for a lot of people that beard is a picture, right? It's, it's what we think about. And I do, I made the connection you made to sort of that playoff time uh, there is a race for sure, right? There is an escalating intensity and drama in the ministry of Jesus. And it's always interesting to me that um, it did go a certain number of years before, you know, he started the playoffs, right? Before he uh, made it public that he was ready to go. And what he knew once he started, um, it was going to escalate, right? And mm-hmm. you get more and more attention. And as you get more and more attention and move all the way through, uh, the stakes get higher. And so just an, uh, an interesting parallel there to what happens. You, you might start out in a certain place and you're local, right? And then you go from local to regional, and then you go from regional to national. Yeah. And, it, and in many ways, that's what happened in Jesus' ministry, where the more attention he got, the more people would affiliate either with or against. And the stakes were, were very high as he uh, walked through that space. So the playoff beard, uh, really exciting. Um, I like the connection. Um, <laughs> and you sort of launched us into, I'm going to move into our, my first one, and you launched us into this idea that we're going to start shallow mm-hmm. and move deeper. Sure. Well, 
I was actually going to go the reverse direction, but I, I'm going to follow your lead and I'm going to okay. go with my, because okay. my, my uh, first one then is, is probably even more shallow than the playoff beard. So <laughs> this, this one's a real struggle, but all right. so we already talked about this a little bit, but just the idea of, can you picture ice hockey being played by Jesus? And I'm having a really hard time with that yep. because of the climate, <laughs> right? So exactly. Right. So I did, I did this quick search of ice and snow in the Bible okay. and it turns out it does show up uh, oh, here really? and there and everywhere. Um, so some of the, sometimes in Proverbs, sometimes in Psalms, the reference to ice or ice storms, but I, I didn't really make this connection. It's, it's part of the 10 plagues, uh, oh, just the, yeah. the ice storm, the storm that, um, I can't imagine the the shards that came down, right? To, so uh, a frightening image, not a not a comfortable one, right? Uh, and you start thinking, okay, what was the perception of snow, right? Um, certainly high points and and places where there must have been snow, right? But mm -hmm. the Sea of Galilee, I'm guessing, did not freeze over. Yeah, probably um, not. So anyway, my my I had that difficulty. So I'm like, Jesus would not would not play sports. So this is where it gets really bad. Uh, so hang on, you know, playing on ice is like walking on water. Mm. And you know, there was one instance of Jesus walking on water. In fact, it, it, in some ways, that uh, is how some people picture Jesus: this idea of overcoming nature. And in this case, uh, it would require overcoming nature. It would require some sort of a miraculous thing for Jesus to be able to participate in this particular sport. But just the idea of uh, having power over nature and being able to adapt uh, yourself in any particular circumstance. So pretty limited connection there. But just the idea of being on water was my, was my first connection. Go ahead, rip that one apart. Well, no, I was thinking something very similar. I mean, that, that's that's uh, that's exactly why I have a hard time picturing Jesus playing ice hockey. But you mentioned something that you know this could be just could have could have created a different form of hockey. I mean, water water hockey, right? So if there ice hockey go. is played on ice, we don't play water hockey because we cannot stand on water. Jesus could stand on water. Maybe you know he and Peter could have had this this one on one you know water hockey game. Uh, walking this up could the boat. be. Could be a storm. heavenly game for sure. Yeah, Something yeah. we anticipate, right? This idea yep. of water hockey as opposed to ice hockey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and standing that's on water. No, yeah, that, that's, well, that's good. we took that. Well, we took that, I think, about as far as we could. So why don't you go with your second one then? Okay, I'll go with that. Um so the game of hockey, the sport of hockey, ice hockey, requires a certain amount of mayhem, or it, it, it sort of leads itself to a certain amount of mayhem. And uh, the exchange or the, the turnover in possession is quite quick, and it's really difficult to maintain possession. So uh, the other part of that is in order to score, you have this thing called a blue line. And there's, there are rules about how many or how you can move toward the net that you're um, attempting to score in and the position of the puck. And so the puck has to pass over the blue line before your players pass over the blue line. And if um, the puck comes out, then you have to start over. So this idea of really a, a major unknown and a lack of control at the moment 
that you are advancing, or in this case, advancing the kingdom. And I just think of just that idea of dumping the puck in and sort of chasing after that and trusting that what you've planned can actually work out, but you're not really quite sure. Sometimes you throw it along the boards and it'll work its way all the way around. Sometimes you're moving across and carrying it across, but that's actually more rare. And so in these circumstances, you're also relying on the movement of your own players and the movement of the defensive players to be able to accomplish your goal. So I guess this idea of mayhem, mayhem, but also the idea of trusting a plan that doesn't seem all that concrete. In other words, we have to adapt to a plan. And I think of, you know, a few moments in the Bible, actually many of them that require that level of faith in activity. So when the Israelites were told to march around the city of Jericho, they must have had moments, right? Like, what in the world are we doing? This this can't be our plan. This uh, We're actually sitting ducks out here. Why would we do such a thing? And, uh, you know, to do that over and over and over again and kind of trusting the plan and repeating the cycle. Much like hockey, where you make this dump in, it's unsuccessful. You come back and you make another dump in, it's unsuccessful. And eventually it finds its way around. Jesus actually, you know, casting... Uh, casting your nets in the water. And he referred to the idea of fishing as uh, similar to the idea of being a disciple. We, we are going to be fishers, fishermen of, of men, right? We're going to reach out and we're going to try to uh, accomplish this, but it's not going to be clear. And um, it's going to be like fishing. Sometimes you'll pull them in and sometimes you'll have empty nets. And so to me, uh, that whole idea of modern um, modern day hockey, having this chaotic moment, this trust moment that the team all has to sort of throw it, uh, throw the puck in and then trust that something will happen. So I'm going to say that that sort of would relate in some ways to how Jesus, Jesus's paradigm was for life. And I'm going to say that, that, uh, that'd be one reason he plays ice hockey. You know, Oswald Chambers, who, you know, well-known uh, writer of, of devotionals, theologian, author, um, says this, right? He says, if, you, if you're not completely trusting in giving yourself to Jesus and, and letting him sort of create the plan, you're not, you don't really trust in Jesus at all. Um, but that's, that's the indication. And I think that relates to what you're saying here. It's sort of, you know, dumping it in means sort of sending the puck up ahead of you into the zone so that you and your teammates can all go after it. Uh, the puck needs to be in, or I'm sorry, yeah, the puck needs to be in the zone if a player can be in that offensive attacking zone, right? At least an offensive player. So Correct. I yeah. absolutely get what you're saying here, that it, there's something about relinquishing one's one's power, one's plans, even well-laid plans for oneself, you know, relinquishing my right to myself. Uh, that's, that's, that's the idea that Chambers talks about, that I, I need to relinquish my plans for myself and therefore my power over myself if I'm, if I'm going to actually live a Christian life. And so there's, there's something I think that's really, really deep about that one, Brian, we, we went from, you know, we went from climate change or from the climate, it wasn't even climate change, just the climate <laughs> to all of a sudden sort of this, this dump in, I think we got deep pretty quickly with that one. That's, that's a good well, we one. started with, we started with the beards. So we had a little, boot, yeah, I was just saying your, you know, your yeah, step yeah, from, from yeah. your first to your second. That was a big, sure. Step. Yeah. Uh, but I do think I like how you took that, that, um, you know, that struggle is really the, the, the Christian walk, mm -hmm. that idea that, um, we want to hold on to certain aspects of our lives that we can control. 
And for us to be able to find ways or learn new ways to trust in Jesus throughout the course of our life, and, and I think he reveals this to us over and over and over again, and we fall back on our old nature and, and try to control life. Uh, I think this is a good parallel to try to think about how the it, just the lack of success in, in some ways that we have in, in learning to trust in the way that Jesus calls us to. Yeah, what did you get for number two? Okay, uh, my number two, I would say that I haven't watched as much hockey as I would like to um, in order to make this claim. And it's probably more of a a normative claim than anything. But uh, the idea that I have is that um, I I love the hockey celebrations that I've seen. I love the the goal scoring celebrations that I see in hockey. And I love them in a a way that I think would resonate with something Jesus might appreciate about it. And that so often they're team celebrations. Certainly, you could come up with examples of hockey players who scored a goal and do an individual celebration, but the nature of how you're moving on skates and the limited size of the, the rink means that it is, it is, it seems to me like it's almost always a team celebration. Further, that celebration generally goes from the, the five or six guys on the ice towards the bench so the rest of the team can celebrate as well because action stops you know, for that moment. There's time to do that. I get. I just love that it oftentimes includes every player on the team. That is, you score a goal, you celebrate with the teammates that are close to you, and you go over by uh, the bench and you slap sticks or you you fist bump or whatever else. It's just a, a team celebration. There's something corporate about all of that, and I think there might be something eschatological about that. That when when we rejoice, we rejoice in the company of others, the community of believers that you know, one person's joy and success is everybody's joy and success. And I say that eschatologically because, again, a normative point, that would be something I would envision happening in heaven, even though we don't always all rejoice as brothers and sisters in Christ. Anytime you know, something good happens to one of us, we just don't, don't know all of that. There's all kinds of reasons why we wouldn't do that. But in hockey, it seems like there's that celebration. It's a team-based celebration. It's an acknowledgement that uh, the team did the work and a celebration within one's team. This is this is the brotherhood. This is the sisterhood. This is the um, uh, this is the team, and we celebrate together. I think that that would be something that Jesus would appreciate. You know, we're told to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, and I think that uh, what you're seeing in maybe uh, in ice hockey, this idea that it extends out in ripples, right? It goes out in a way that. Uh, I think ice hockey lends itself to that level of celebration simply by the physical structure as well. Mm-hmm. You know, ho- uh, soccer tends to celebrate a lot after a goal, but it, it it can be more individual, partially because the they're so far apart, right? Mm-hmm. But in hockey, mm-hmm. you're close. Uh, the bench is really tightly packed because everybody has to sort of be in there, the way the lines come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, just the physical structure, you can really – bang on the boards and make noise and get really excited. And I think uh, that idea of sharing in the goal, right down to the to the person who's protecting the goal on the other side, the goalie on the other side is included in the celebration. And so I think um, that idea that when we when we have celebration, uh, it's it's worth sharing with others, right? It's worth mm-hmm. um, that um, giving of yourself so that others can can celebrate with you. We tend to worry about that a little bit because um, there's a 
like a arrogance about it or a bragging potentially with a certain celebration. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I, I think we err on the wrong side on that one. Uh, you know, there's a there's great opportunity for celebration in a world that doesn't have all that much. Right. There's just a lot of difficult things. So I do I do love that idea of uh, carrying over the athletic celebration, in this case, the ice hockey celebration into a space where it, it is a communal, a collective event. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really, really good stuff. I like it. Good. Yeah. Well, let me go on to my third then. Yeah, do that. I'm getting into the depths here too. I'm not, not deep at, in terms of like, you know, deep intellectual, but I think deeply spiritual uh, reason here, reason number three for me. And that is um, the Stanley Cup. So the, the, the trophy that the best NHL team wins, so the team that wins the playoffs wins the Stanley Cup. And it's, it's a trophy as well known as any in, in any North American sport. And it's treated, um, it's treated in a sacred way, right? So um, the idea is that anybody who handles the cup during the season, and generally it would be, uh, you know, workers of a particular team or workers of the league, must wear white gloves when they handle it. And, and a, a player really, uh, really will not, will not touch or even go near the Stanley Cup unless they've won it. You know, it's almost like you don't want to, you don't want to screw yourself over. You don't want to jinx yourself in any way. And there's just something that's sacred about it. If you haven't won it, you have no right to be able to go near it. And I think this to me feels a lot like um, the sacred space in the Old Testament with God's chosen people, the tabernacle, which was Mm. this sort of this portable space that was to be occupied only by, by God and those who have a priestly connection uh, to the God of, of, of God's people, of uh, God of the Old Testament. And so, and it was portable. That's the fun thing, right? So the Stanley Cup also portable, moving around from space to space uh, where it's being shown off or, you know, whoever has won it gets a chance to have this thing. Um, and so there's something to me that's really cool about the sacredness of the Stanley Cup. It really feels like a modern day uh, sport tabernacle as much as anything else I could ever think of in modern day sports. You know, the... Stanley Cup itself, like you said, isolates itself or it uh, sort of elevates itself above all other trophies. Maybe uh, the green jacket, right? So it kind of unique in some ways to one golf tournament. There's a handful of them, but but just about every other trophy, even though if it has a name, doesn't even come close to the idea of Stanley Cup. And certainly the um, practices around that particular trophy uh, separated, right? So the mm-hmm. Stanley Cup with all the things that you mentioned, the idea too that if you do win, I know you were talking mostly about uh, avoiding it if you haven't won, but if you do win, it travels around to different places and then people will uh, in some ways um, take some of the sacredness out, right? They'll eat their uh, their cornflakes <laughs> out of yes. the Stanley Cup, right? So yeah. people are, will, will drink out of the Stanley Cup. And this is a really big big issue if you're not familiar <laughs> with the stanley cup it's very large and heavy uh, so just an interesting way of doing that and and just what often happens in sport especially if we want to look at the like how things go wrong we point to especially as christians things like superstitions right mm-hmm. we say okay that's a superstition that's silly right or uh if it's not silly it's it's actually uh detrimental and we worry about those sorts of things. But I do think the superstitions around the Stanley Cup are playful. Um, they're playful in such a way that um, it engages the athlete, engages them in something bigger than themselves. 
and they think about uh, a respect, a respect for the game, a respect for those who came before. And that same level of respect was instituted in that whole idea of tabernacle. You know, the, mm. the, the number of uh, descriptions about how the tabernacle was built, the mm. items that went in it, the different locations, the different spaces, who could go where and when, all of those things were, were what seemed to be un, unusual or unneeded rituals, but they went to sort of the reverence uh, and the presence of God himself. And so dwelling among us in, in both the Old Testament tent and in the New Testament, Jesus Christ. So this idea, I think, is, uh, is, is really a, is a nice parallel and really a, a fun and playful parallel. That, that particular trophy is just, uh, it's, it is so much fun to watch the last, uh, the, the last tournament game in ice hockey just to see the, the trophy ceremony. Yeah. Yeah? Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. All right. Your third. Okay, number three. Um, so I went um, into more, again, the gameplay a little bit, and uh, I'm going to build off the idea of the penalty box. Okay. And to me, the penalty box um, has lots of different connections, and I, and I probably won't mine all of them here. I'll just touch on a few, but just so you know, like the penalty box is a place where you go if you – there are different grades or types of penalties, so you can get a certain – type of penalty, which might mean you're, you're removed for a short period of time. But a more severe penalty penalty would be that you're removed from a long for a longer period of time from the particular game. And two things are happening there that I think are important. First, there is some individual uh, consequence. So in other words, uh, you know, we are individuals and we are uh, responsible for ourselves and the things that we do. And in fact, we're, we're not told uh, in the Old or New Testament, to separate from that individuality. Jesus will call you by name. You will have a name, right? It won't be just your group of people, the people you hang around with. Your individual personhood does matter. And so I think just the idea of individualness or individual consequence sort of plays out in the penalty box. We caught you, and now there is, there is a, a penalty to be served. At the same time, it is a, it's really interesting that there's consequence that, that ripples into the group. So there is also group identity and group consequence. And so in this case, um, your team actually suffers quite a bit. If you go into the penalty box, somebody else doesn't come out and replace you. You don't, you know, if you get kicked out of a, a football game or a baseball game and you're the free safety the, they'll throw in the next person who's the three safety and you're out there with 11 players on the field. And the same is true in baseball that uh, in some sports, the, the replacement is automatic and you keep the same number of players on the field at the same time or, or on the court, but that's not true here. And so um, your team has to play basically one person down uh, for a length of time. And so that, that consequence certainly carries over and we can see some of those consequences in the Bible, right? We saw, you know, um, the 12 spies come back from their trip into Canaan and are, you know, ultimately afraid of following God's plan. And the people start muttering. And then ultimately the entire nation is told that, that they must wait and they don't make it in. Uh, there are groups that Jesus refers to. He refers to the Pharisees. 
right? And he calls them a brood of vipers at some point, right? But at the same time, there's some individuality there. Nicodemus comes and, and receives, um, you know, life-changing information. So there are uh, individuals and there are groups, and both of those things are happening. And really, to separate yourself entirely as an individual and say you have no group responsibility is false. But also to say my group is really represents me is also false. And I like that way that the penalty box really brings both of those things together. I think the final thing I like about the penalty box is it is ultimately restorative. Uh, there is a price to be paid, but there is a moment to return, right? That after the price is paid, there is, there's forgiveness. Out you come and you get an opportunity to get back into the field of play. So this idea of uh, it isn't, it is meant to correct. Uh, it is meant to teach you. And in the end, there's a chance to get redemption. So I really like the idea of the penalty box. You took that in a direction I did not expect at first. I kind of thought you were going to make a, a connection between the penalty box and like the confessional oh. box. Yeah. Um, but I like what you did because I was wondering what how how you were going to make that that connection. But it seemed like okay, this physical space here that you are you know you're in and, and you've got sins and, and whatever else and um, you know being able to to you know sort of deed your way back into into whatever else. But I, I like this. this is, so the three points, if I'm hearing them correctly, related to uh, the penalty box that you shared, and and you also there there may be more, but you talked about. Um, sort of owning up to one's actions and, and having to pay a, a a price, you know, for doing things wrong. Um, and then the group consequence, if you have group responsibility, that no person is just sort of living on an island as a person of faith, that, that there's a responsibility to the community of faith. And then lastly, that there's some restoration involved there and redemption that, yes, one does, in fact, uh, one is allowed to to return to the ice after serving, mm-hmm. you know, the, the five minute major or, or whatever yeah, else. Right. It's interesting how we built our, um, at least the, the U.S. sort of uh, legal uh, legal justice system around some of that as well. That uh, you know, each person is is irreplaceable um, in terms of any any wrong they might do, criminal or civil civil wrong, and so to take that person away hurts the group, you know, uh, in yeah. some ways. And, and while it might be good for the group to have this person removed for a little while, you know, um, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of, of push now to, um, to, to, to treat each person as an individual and, and allow them to, you know, to, to restore themselves. Um, at least both of our universities are, are part of programs that's, that's working with, with uh, prison inmates to be able to, uh, to get them back, to get them back through education and, 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 and moral education and, and, and good behavior and that sort of thing. So I absolutely, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that's, a, there's some really nice parallels there about, about what, what the penalty box is and does. And uh, that's a unique thing in my mind uh, to a lot of other different sports, you know, this physical space that you go to, uh, to, to sit and to think about your actions uh, before you can return and your team uh, has to really try to kill the kill the penalty really uh, kill the we call it a power play in hockey yeah. and so the team whose player has to go to the penalty box uh has specific strategies they have to use to try to kill that time the two minutes or the five minutes or whatever else uh that they're shorthanded and it's really really difficult so a player who who uh, uh you know commits a, a hockey crime and has to go in the penalty box really puts their team at a disadvantage you know and and uh i've often thought of how other sports might benefit from a penalty box 
Um, I just think it's a really unique um, idea. I mean, the physical structure in ice hockey actually helps that there's an actual space that you go and sit and you're known. You're the one sitting there. And we all know why we're down to fewer players in this length of time. It's right there, visible for us to see. Um, and, you know, uh, I think everyone recognizes that we all take our turn in the in the penalty box, right? It, it happens yeah. to all of us. Sure. It's not totally avoidable. That's absolutely right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's also, you know, traditionally the the penalty box has been, you know, you're not – you're kind of right by the, you know, you're right by the fans. I mean, you just, yeah. like, you don't, you don't go outside the arena anyway. So you are sitting like next to your teammates, but it's a glass box, but yeah. you've got fans right behind you that can, that can heckle you. And so there's a little bit of extra insult to injury, I suppose, <laughs> in some way. I, I don't know if that's, if that's theological at all or not, but um, hmm. that's a, a step I took and not you. <laughs> whoever, t- whoever took that, whoever made that choice, I, I, I just think it's really unique and I, and I think it works. Right. It, yeah. it maybe wouldn't work for every sport, but imagine, you know, you do something wrong and now you're, you have uh, eight fielders on the baseball field instead of nine. Yeah. Um, it right. would change things up quite a bit. Yeah. Sure it would. Sure it would. Yeah. So did you come up with a reason that Jesus might not play ice hockey? I did. I did. Okay. And I'm going to sound a little bit heretical maybe here. Um, Brian, why wouldn't Jesus play ice hockey? Do you know the answer? Is this a joke? Is this a punchline? It's a joke. No. Why would Jesus not play ice hockey? The answer to this bad joke is that he would likely get nailed to the boards. (laughs) The boards being the 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 outer the 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 boundary of the hockey rink. That these 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 high boards, and when a player gets sort of knocked up against the boards by uh, an opponent, it's called being nailed to the boards. Why doesn't Jesus play hockey, Brian? Uh, are you asking for mine or are you? No, nope, uh, I'm asking. This is another joke. Another joke. Another. Okay. Why? No. Why doesn't Jesus play hockey? Because he's hung up on lacrosse. Oh, wow. I Okay. So I think I was I was borderline in trouble for laughing at your first joke. Se- cer- certainly not I'm, not, I'm not going to make that mistake on the second time. So, so these, are, these are bad, bad hockey jokes. Uh, and I'm going to... I'm going to throw one more out there that's, I think, less blasphemous. Okay. And it's not really a, a punchline joke, but the but it's and you probably heard something like this before, saying uh, someone saying something like, "Hey, I went to the fight last night, and a hockey game broke out." Right, right. right. The idea that sometimes in pro hockey where fighting is legal, uh, there's so much fighting that it oftentimes takes center stage in the actual hockey, the actual skill of the game, sort uh-huh. of takes a back seat. So. My reason for why I don't think Jesus would play hockey is uh, because of the fighting at, at the top levels. I just think it makes no sense why um, why that would be a part of this game. I understand sort of the, the cultural reasons, historical reasons that this, this has roots or has origins. But um, one of the reasons why it makes no sense, at least to me, and and I want to believe to Jesus as well, that, that fighting is in hockey is that it doesn't occur in the playoffs. So once we get to the point where the game is important enough or winning is important enough, then all of a sudden the, the fighting goes away. So there's there's nothing that's central to the game of hockey about fighting. And fighting for fighting's sake then is what, all that it is. And that makes zero sense in, in my mind. And uh, I think, you know, I have a lot of friends who love hockey. I told you, I, I play hockey. We don't fight in my pond hockey league, mostly mm. because... Um, we're not good hockey players and we're not 
good fighters, at least I think the guys that I play with, but it seems like it makes very little sense. And it seems like it would be something that would be, it's kind of a head scratcher for people outside sort of, you know, hockey cultures. Why, why is this? Okay. So that, that's, that's my reason. And I, I, I took a roundabout bad joke way of, of getting there. No, I'm glad you did. Um, there were bad jokes oh, I, and they were I, dad jokes, right? Yeah. They were, they were, they were, they were both, right? I they, thought it was yeah. kind of creative, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very nice. I, I'm going to, I'm going to give you that. Those were, those were fun. And the truth is we needed a little filler there because I'm going to end up in the same place. So okay. I, I ended up actually in the same, <laughs> with the same reason you know, when we think about fighting and hockey, I actually, you know, in class uh, with my students debate this. And and so you can come up with, with a intellectual understanding actually of why they're doing it and who's doing it. So sometimes there's an enforcer on the team that's trying to protect the better players who are getting chip, you know, cheap shots and those sorts of things. Uh, but like you said, there are ways to undercut that. And the biggest way is that when things are really, really, really on the line, you see less and less of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it does have an entertainment value to it. Certainly at the minor league hockey levels, you'll see it more often. I mean, I remember going to a game here in town and uh, there was so much fighting and I and we had such great tickets. We were right down front that I had, I kind of had to pull my kids right out of there. I mean, it was just, <laughs> oh, geez. it was, it was unbelievable how much um, the, the reason we were there was to watch the fighting and a hockey game may have broken out, but mm-hmm. Not that much. So I guess, and and I would just bring it home with this final statement. I mean, Jesus gave um, really unexpected alternatives, right? So when the centurions uh, would take advantage of the Israelites, right? Or when the Roman citizens in some ways would take advantage in multiple ways of, of the uh, really uh, defenseless Israelites, um, Jesus told them to turn the other cheek. Right. Um, which did not sit well. I'm quite sure that the plan was, if you're actually our savior, then maybe give us superpowers, whatever it is. Um, we're so sick of these Romans that we want to uh, have our revenge, right? And we want to get to a position of, of, of strength. Um, and Jesus said, I can get you there, but it's not the way you expect. You're going to mm-hmm. turn the other cheek. And so... That uh, doesn't show up at all, really, in hockey, right? Uh, or or a lot of other sports. Um, right. It's not a direct parallel, obviously, but I, I think that would be the reason Jesus Jesus would come up with a new way uh, to deal with that um, that animosity, uh, even cheap shots, things like that. He would come up with a new way that would be unexpected. So, yeah, that's my reason. It's great. Just dump it in the zone. Just dump it in the zone. Dump it in the zone and trust Jesus. Yeah. So what a fun one. This is our last one, actually. We've done uh, six sports, hockey being the last one. And we had so much fun that, uh, you know, there are so many sports out there. Chad, let's do this again. Let's uh, let's revisit the idea uh, and the question, would Jesus play a particular sport? So, folks, thanks very much for indulging us. As always, uh, send us any comments that you might have about this. And uh, uh, thanks very much for listening to Sport Faith Life. Thanks for listening to the Sport Faith Life podcast. Find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on Apple Podcasts. We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests. So you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, 
sportfaithlife.com. <laughs>